Amen. We serve an awesome Savior, don't we? Amen. need you to take out your Bibles, please, and open to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, I encourage you to grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. If you're borrowing one of those blue Bibles, you'll find Matthew 118 on page 955. The rest of you, please turn to that first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And if you're there, please say amen for me. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What a blessing to read God's Word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. It is Your day. It's the Lord's day. And we thank You, Lord, for this first day of this new week and this first day of this new month. And Lord, I just pray that as we have begun to enter this Christmas season, that we would celebrate in all things, Lord, whether we're putting lights on the front of our homes or whether we're decorating the Christmas tree or a drinking eggnog for whatever reason we might want to do that. I don't know. As we're doing all those Christmassy things, Lord, I just pray that you would be at the center of it because, Jesus, you are the reason for this season. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys ready for Christmas at the movies? All right. So I need you to make sure you break out those bags of popcorn. Some of you have already finished your bag and have begun to spin it on your tongue to get the residue of the salt. Well, you know what? You can clear that bag if you like, but uh, if you haven't broken into the bag, you're welcome to get that out. Also, if you're sitting on the end of an aisle, uh, I encourage you to pass those message notes down to those in your row uh, because there'll be some blanks to fill in, some notes uh, to take along the way. Last week you voted on your four favorite Christmas movies of all time, and today we begin our four-week countdown to Christmas, uh, counting down your four favorite movies. The one we're going to look at today was tied for third place. Your third favorite movie of all time, it's a newer Christmas classic. It was released in theaters in 1990, and uh, it was quite a hit from the very beginning. In fact, this movie that came out in 1990 held the record for the biggest gross uh, box office totals for a live-action comedy. It held that record for 20 years. 
And it also held for 28 years the record for being the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. It was finally bumped out last year in 2018 by the remake of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. But it held the record for the highest grossing Christmas movie for 28 years. This movie tells the story of a precocious little 8-year-old boy whose parents decide to go to Paris for Christmas vacation, and they pack everything that they need for vacation except for one thing. They forget young 8-year-old Kevin McAllister. He is left home alone for the days leading up to Christmas. Our movie today, of course, is... It's Home Alone. So with those bags of popcorn in hand and those message notes handy, we're going to play the first clip here from early in the movie. Uh, Eight-year-old Kevin wakes up. He remembers, uh uh-oh, something has gone on here. In fact, the clip we're going to look at first even is earlier in the movie than that. We're going to see that before his parents uh, head out of town, the night before they head head to the airport, uh, there's a problem. Kevin has been acting up. And so Kevin has caused a big commotion in the kitchen, uh, which has resulted in the milk spilling and the soda being knocked over and even one of those plane tickets inadvertently being tossed in the trash. And so Kevin's mom has had it up to here with her eight-year-old, and she's about to lay into him. Here's clip number one from Home Alone. I spoke to your husband already. And don't worry about your home. It's in good hands. You know, I've watched this uh, movie lots of times over the years. You know what really stood out to me looking at this this last week? Kevin is a pretty cute little kid, isn't he? But at the beginning of this movie, he's a little punk. He's a little jerk, isn't he? 
I want to know how many of you when you were eight years old could have gotten away with talking to your mom like that. Now, my, my sister is here with me today. She can attest that oftentimes as the baby in the family, I could get away with murder with my mom. But even I couldn't get away with talking to my mom like that. If my dad found out about it, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. You pile together all that Kevin says in this short little two-minute clip. He complains at the beginning of the clip by saying, why do I always get treated like scum? Then he complains to the pizza guy. How come you didn't bring more cheese pizzas? And once he gets to the top of the stairs, it gets worse. He calls his mom a dummy. He says, families suck. He says, I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life, and I hope that I never see any of you jerks again. And then he proceeds to lay in bed after that clip and wish that his whole family would just disappear. Now, I think little uh, Kevin was a spoiled brat. He was a little bit of a punk, wasn't he? And you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of you. And me. Doesn't he? Let's be honest here. How many of you have to admit, you know what? I can be a little punk sometimes too. Okay, I'll wait for the rest of you. If you didn't raise your hand, ask the person's opinion next to you. We can all be a little punk sometimes, right? We can all be a little spoiled brat sometimes, right? He reminds me of me. He reminds me of us. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. I love that verse because it says all of us are like little sheep wandering off and doing what we want to do, what we think is right, what we think is good. And the Bible says that ain't good and that ain't right because it's completely 180 degrees from what God has in mind for you to do. And so all of us, it says, like sheep have gone astray. And little eight-year-old Kevin was like one of those little sheep that went astray, right? And he was treating his mom like crud in that two-minute clip, wasn't he? And I got to thinking about this. It's the first blank to fill in on your handouts today. Kevin's mom is the unappreciated dumping ground for his bad behavior. In real life, Jesus Christ is the unappreciated dumping ground for ours. Isn't that true? Now, I want you to think this Christmas season, a lot of times for many of us, the Christmas season can be a tough one. Maybe this last year or two, you lost a loved one, and this will be your first or maybe your second Christmas without your spouse or without your child or without your parent. Some of us maybe have lost a sibling in the last year or two. And so sometimes these Christmas seasons can be difficult for many of us, but one thing that's great about this Christmas season that this clip kind of reminds me of is how important and precious family are in our lives. And what a wonderful season this is to do a little self-reflection and ask ourselves, have I been like Kevin in someone's life in my family in the past year? Has my spouse been the dumping ground for my bad behavior? Has my husband or wife been the dumping ground, the unappreciated, undeserved dumping ground for my bad behavior? Have my kids been the dumping ground for my bad behavior? Have my siblings or have my parents been the dumping ground? For my bad behavior? It's a good question to ask. And then secondly, have I been dumping on Jesus Christ and taking Him for granted for all that He's done for me? 
As much as we really like young Kevin, we can't excuse his crummy attitude, can we? We can't excuse his disrespectful words and his actions. And as much as we really like each other, we can't excuse our own crummy attitudes or disrespectful actions toward our family members and toward God especially. So there young Kevin was, banished to the attic, thinking to himself, I wish they would all just disappear. And you might remember what happens next. A storm rolls in, the wind is whipping back and forth out in the street, and the telephone lines start to spark and they collapse. The phone lines and the electrical power all cut off. In the middle of the night, the alarm clocks stop working. And so the family sleeps in, and mom wakes up first. She realizes they slept in, and the whole house scurries to get all their luggage packed and into those shuttle vans, and they take off down the street to barely make it to the airport and catch their flight in time. And maybe a couple hours later, Kevin comes out of that attic after he woke up on his own. He goes through the house, and he can't figure out where his family is gone. Here's clip number two. Kevin thinks he's figured out what happened to his family. Well, the night before, Kevin was just a small fish in a big pond, right? But now he thought his wish had come true. He had the house to himself. His family had disappeared just like he wanted. And he could stuff in his face whatever he wanted to stuff in his face. And he could run around the house. He could jump on top of his parents' bed and they wouldn't tell him to stop. Uh, He could make a mess of his, his brother's room. And he does in the next scene, goes in there and makes a mess of his brother's room. And there's nothing his big brother could do about it, right? And so for Kevin, it felt like heaven on earth, this was going to be the best Christmas week of his life. He just couldn't imagine his wish had come true. He was so excited. To Kevin, being home alone was like that dream come true. He felt so free. He felt like it was going to be the best week ever. But you know what? I was thinking this last week. Let me ask you a question. Why do you and I sin? And I think the quick answer to that question is we sin because sin is fun, isn't it? Let's be honest. Sometimes in church, no, we cannot admit that sin is fun. Sin is terrible every step of the way. And that's not true, is it? It's the reason we sin. We sin because sin is fun. Sometimes if you're sharing that juicy bit of gossip and all of your friends are hanging on your every word, sharing that little juicy bit of gossip, that's fun. Sometimes if you take something that doesn't belong to you and you get away with it. There's that certain adrenaline rush. Sometimes stealing can be a little bit of fun. 
There's a reason that people have addictions to alcohol. Because in the moment, getting drunk for many is fun. Getting high for many is fun in the moment. Now, you get to that next day, it's not so fun anymore, right? But in the moment, it can be fun getting drunk. In the moment, it can be fun getting high. In the moment, it can be fun having premarital sex or having an affair. It can be fun in the moment, but we know after that moment ends, the devastation can oftentimes come, right? Death can oftentimes come. Romans 6.23 says it really bluntly. The wages of sin is death. In other words, sin might be fun in the moment, but it'll end up killing you. It might be fun in the moment, but it'll end up killing you. Sin can be so alluring in the moment. It can feel so attractive and so right. That's why we call it temptation. It's tempting. It seems so good, and the reward seems so worth it. You know, this last uh, month or so at our church office over there on George Boulevard, it's been that time of year. I'd be sitting in my office working on my sermon or doing something, and over our false ceiling, I hear this. Oh, the mice are up in the false ceiling again. And so what do Javier and I have to do? It's that time of year. We've got to load those traps. And so we put out the traps in some strategic places we've learned over the years are good places to catch those little critters. And so we load those little spring traps, and I put my favorite a Skippy peanut butter right there on the platform. If I eat it myself, I know the mouse will like it. And so I put the little Skippy there, and sometimes it catches you, but most of the time it doesn't. I put it right there, and I put it in a little strategic place, and we come back the next day, and what happened? There's the little mouse, flat as a pancake. And so usually Holly, our secretary at that point, says, ooh, ooh, mouse, mouse, and so we take it out and dispose of it for her. But I think of that little mouse in the middle of the night coming down out of the attic, out of that false ceiling, and it sniffs that little peanut butter, and it sees it from across the closet, and it runs over to that peanut butter, sniffs it a little closer, and that little mousy mouth starts nibbling on that peanut butter. Oh, and it's so good, isn't it? It's so good, and that mouse is in heaven. It's enjoying that peanut butter so nicely. It's singing its little mousy song. It's so excited. Thinks it's part of the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. It's just enjoying that peanut butter. And in the middle of that fun adventure, bam, dead mouse. That's kind of like it is with temptation, right? Sin seems so alluring and it's so enjoyable, but it'll bite you and it'll bite you hard. The wages... If not in this life, in the next, the wages of sin is death, it says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it says, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, for the first 24 hours or so, Kevin was living life high on the hog, as my grandma from Alabama used to say. She was en- he was enjoying life. He was loving life. His parents were gone. He could do whatever he wanted. He could say whatever he wants. So there he is sitting in his dad's armchair watching all that mush and movies and TV that his parents never allowed him to watch. And so he was watching what he wanted. He was eating all the ice cream he wanted. He was loving life for that first 24 hours. But that ended pretty quickly, didn't it? It got old after that first day, especially when he realized that he was right in the crosshairs of a couple burglars who wanted to loot his house while his parents were out of the country. After a day or two, the reality set in for Kevin. Christmas without his family was empty. 
And sooner or later, later, the reality will set in for you and me. Christmas without Jesus Christ is empty, isn't it? Christmas without Jesus is empty. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel came to Joseph in a dream, Joseph was feeling pretty empty. For months, possibly even for years, Joseph had dreamed of that day that Mary would be his bride. And so he must have been so excited that the prettiest girl in town was going to marry him. She was pretty on the outside and she was beautiful on the inside. She had the sweet spirit to her. She was kind. She was loving. She was strong. And he was looking forward to marrying her. She was, he believed, his perfect soulmate. In his eyes, she was perfect for him. But then all of a sudden, he finds out that his precious bride is pregnant. Now, it says that they were betrothed to be married. In those days, in Israel, there were three stages to being married. The first stage was engagement. And engagement oftentimes happened when a boy and a girl were still kids. And so usually that engagement happened even at times before they had met each other. A parent made the decision for them to get married, or a matchmaker in town made a decision for them to get married. And so they had already been engaged, and then they went to the second phase of their engagement, which was the betrothal. The betrothal period began when the young boy and girl decided for themselves, yes, we will accept this engagement, and we do plan to get married next year. And so once they publicly declared that they were going to be married, they were betrothed. And at that point, they began being called husband and wife. They weren't able to live together. They weren't able to have sexual relations yet. But they were considered husband and wife during that betrothal. And if one of them decided to break it off, they, would, could, they could only do that through a divorce. And so there they are in this betrothal period, going through that one year leading up to their wedding vows being shared at which point they would move in together and be able to consummate their ceremony. But they're in this betrothal period, and Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is expecting a child, he knew that he was still a virgin. He knew that he had been true to that betrothal and not cheated on his his fiancée. And so there was only one logical conclusion in Joseph's mind. Obviously, she had committed adultery. Obviously, she had cheated on him. And so because he was a respectful man, he decided to put her away quietly and to divorce her quietly without making a big spectacle about it in town. But here in Matthew 1, verse 20, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel tells Joseph to name Mary's supernatural child Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. In those days in Jewish culture, it was very common to name boys a name that included God's name in it, and it would point out a characteristic or a quality about God. So, for example, uh, John was named John because that word, that name John means the Lord has been gracious Isaiah was named Isaiah because that name means the Lord is salvation. And Daniel was given his given name because Daniel means the Lord is my judge. So Jesus was given this name in Greek, which is the same name in Hebrew, Joshua. Joshua and Jesus both mean the same thing. It means the Lord or Yahweh saves. So Jesus was to be given his name to communicate to the world that God saves. Amen? But on top of that, notice what it says in verse 23. 
We're reminded of the prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah 7.14 there in the Old Testament, written some 700 years before Jesus was born. It says in Isaiah 7.14, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, interestingly, during his lifetime, Jesus wasn't called Emmanuel, was he? He wasn't called Emmanuel by his mom. He wasn't called Emmanuel by his dad. He wasn't called Emmanuel by his disciples. So why does it say he will be called Emmanuel? Well, I think the short and sweet answer is this. Emmanuel isn't so much Jesus' name. It's Jesus' mission. He wasn't called God with us as much as he was called to be God with us. Amen? It wasn't so much a title just to point people to God the Father. It was a reality of his mission pointing to himself. He's not just talking about God being with us in some sort of inspirational kind of way. He is the epitome, the embodiment of inspiration. He is himself God with us. So many Jewish parents gave their sons names that proclaimed something about God, but when the angel told Joseph that his son Jesus would be called Emmanuel, he was proclaiming that he is God. And so when you and I call Jesus Emmanuel, we are declaring Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And we're declaring that he is God with us. It's a powerful name. Not just talking about God the Father, but describing Jesus himself. Back to Kevin. Kevin thought that life with his family was just horrible. But after about 24 hours of his whole family being gone and the crooks bearing down on his house, he realized that it was a lot more horrible being without his family, right? What he thought was horrible before was nothing compared to his new horrible. And what can we say about life without Jesus? Life without Jesus ends up being really horrible, doesn't it? Life without Jesus is pretty lousy. Sin sometimes will satisfy for a while, but sin never fully satisfies, does it? It never fully satisfies us. It might appear to fill us up in the moment, but it never really satisfies us for any length of time. The alcoholic is never satisfied with one more beer. The addict is never satisfied with one more hit. The pervert is never satisfied with one more look. The gossip is never satisfied with just one more juicy detail. Sin never satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. He alone is the living water who quenches our spiritual thirst. He alone is the bread of life who answers our soul's hunger for meaning and purpose. Only Jesus truly satisfies. Well, by the time Christmas Eve arrived, young Kevin was feeling pretty empty. Life without his family wasn't working out quite as well as he had intended. It was getting pretty empty. It was getting pretty scary. And as he's walking home in the dark on Christmas Eve, all alone, Kevin passes by a church, and he hears the faint singing of the choir inside that church building as that choir is practicing for their Christmas program, the song, O Holy Night. And so Kevin stops there in the snow, And he decides to turn and walk into that church building. And there on Christmas Eve, as he enters that church, something transformational happens in that next few minutes. That's our next clip.
I don't think we can say for sure that Kevin had a religious experience there in that church building, but something happened. Something changed as O Holy Night was being sung by that choir. That neighbor that just came up at the end of the clip to say Merry Christmas to him was one he'd been scared to death of up until that point. Something changes in Kevin, and he decides, family or no family, he's going to go home and he's going to defend his turf. He's going to protect his house. And most of you know what happens next as he sets up his booby traps for those two bumbling crooks. Kevin single-handedly saves his home and protects it until his parents are able to make it home the next day on Christmas morning. Instead of wishing that his family would all disappear, he has begun wishing that his family would all return back home, especially his mom, who he dumped on so much just a few days earlier. And about 12 hours after this clip, his mom does in fact come home. Kevin's new wish comes true. And it's this, one of the final scenes in the movie. Christmas morning, the house is safe. Kevin wakes up, and his mom comes home. Although Kevin didn't say it directly, in his own 
dorky kind of way. He told his mom, I'm sorry too. It's a beautiful moment in that movie. I suppose most kids and teenagers like the movie because of the booby traps. (laughs) But when you get past that and look at the end of that movie where there's a transformation in young Kevin from wishing that his family was gone to realizing how valuable they really are. It's an amazing message. And I think God would cheer, stand up and cheer for that message. Kevin comes to his senses. He realized that he had unfairly dumped on his mom. Deep down, he loved her. He realized deep down he needed her. And Christmas without her was empty. And I hope and pray that we come to the same conclusion this Christmas. Life without our family is rather empty. As we look back on this past 11 months of this year, I think in all honesty, some of us would have to admit that we've dumped on our loved ones a little more than we should have. It was undeserved. What a wonderful time Christmas is to make amends. What a wonderful time Christmas is to ask for forgiveness. What a wonderful time Christmas is to change and say, you know what? I've not appreciated you as much as I should, but I'm going to make a change this Christmas season. I've not told you I love you as much as I should, but I'm going to make a change this Christmas season. I've not demonstrated respect to you for all that you do for our family like I should, but that's going to change this Christmas season. What a wonderful season of the year it is to make an even greater decision, and that's to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to say, Lord Jesus, I have just taken for granted that you would always be there when I need to pray. You would always be there when I come to my senses. And I've taken you for granted, but I'm tired of dumping on you. I'm going to make a change this Christmas season. We've taken Jesus Christ for granted. The truth is, I need Jesus in my Christmas celebration. You need Jesus in your Christmas celebration. In fact, Christmas is empty without Him, isn't it? Life is empty without Him. So open your hearts and invite Him back home this Christmas season. In the long run, it's no fun being home alone without Jesus at Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for every person in this room today, every family represented at this church today. And Lord, I just pray that this would be the start of a wonderful season of healing, of humility, Lord, humbly going before our loved ones and saying, forgive me. Let's have a brand new, fresh start. Lord, I pray that this would be a season where many decisions are made for Jesus Christ, saying, Lord Jesus, I know that You're at the heart of this season, but I've pushed you aside so many other times, but not this year. Not this year. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to take a moment and pray for those of you who have prayer needs today. As our eyes are closed right now, I want you to just slip your hand into the ear if you need prayer for your family. If you need prayer for some relationships in your family today like to pray with you. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you.
Anyone else? Any prayer for your relationships? Prayer for your family? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's whoever. Anyone else need prayer? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I lift up those to you today, Lord, who are struggling, going through some challenges. Father, I just pray that you would heal relationships that for whatever reason are broken. Lord, I pray that you would do what is impossible for us to do in our own power, but that only we can do with your strength. Lord, you say in your word, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I read that to say, Lord, we can't do everything unless you get intimately involved in the doing. So, Lord, help us. I pray, O God, that you would heal relationships between parents and kids. I pray that you would heal relationships between siblings, relationships between friends, relationships between husbands and wives. Bring healing, O God, this Christmas season, I pray, in a way that only you can. And as our eyes are still bowed, eyes are still closed, our heads are bowed, if you today realize that you need to get right with Jesus Christ, you've realized you've pushed him to the side, that you've been dumping on him, and you want to make a decision to stop doing that today and put him in the driver's seat of your life, I'm going to ask that you slip your hand into the air today. Is there anyone that needs prayer to get right with our Lord today? Anyone I see that hand? God bless you. Anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, those several that have just raised their hands, I pray, O oh God, that today they would make that decision in their hearts to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, wash me clean. Come into my life and take that rightful position of yours in the driver's seat of my life. Help me to turn from my sin. Help me to obey you, Lord, by being baptized if I haven't done that. Or if I've been baptized, Lord, to follow you and obey your commands every day of my life until you call me home. Lord Jesus, help each of those. Strengthen and encourage each of these who have made decisions for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.